Welcome back to Undoctored Doctors with Sarah and Rosh and Mr. Chunks, uh, the show where we talk about whatever we <laughs> we feel like that day. <laughs> yes, perfect. Uh, we, we've been struggling with uh, staying on topic for the past, what, seven episodes, six episodes now, so par for the course, Growing you know. up so, to it. Yeah, go as you uh, continue as you mean to go on, eh? Uh, but yeah, I thought I thought today we could um, talk at least a little bit. Uh, start off with uh, diets because um, you, you yourself are doing intermittent fasting. You dabbled in the Atkins diet, and at the moment you're doing the uh, keto diet, which um, I at least have a bit of interest in because um, I used to do a lot of uh, not bodybuilding, but I used to go to the gym a lot. So I was researching um, these diets which can help you gain mass, but also keep you at a healthy weight. And keto was one of those that really stood out to me <clears throat> um, because of how lean it can make you. Uh, yeah. So so talk me through your process of, of how you at least research these diets and research. No. Sorry, Mr. Mr. Chonks just left. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Research how so, you uh, you go through the nutritions and the the macros, micros that you you may or may not um, stick to. So, like my my history with uh, like this whole like keto intermittent fasting stuff actually goes back to around 2013, 14, before keto wasn't known actually at all. Uh, but at the time, I was actually around like. 85 kilos like maybe I was like pushing 90 um like 85 90 kilos I was quite overweight and my roommate at the time like saw like found this subreddit that only had like 70,000 people on it and it was basically the ketogenic uh subreddit and like where they were saying that you need to eat fat to lose fat and obviously my entire life I've been told like if you eat fat you'll get fat and I was pretty fat so I was like I'm not going to eat fat to lose weight like that makes no sense and I was like really, really uh, against this idea. And I told him he was an idiot and that it was really unhealthy. And then over the next few weeks, and he wasn't a big guy at all, right? Like he wasn't at all. He was very normal weight, but he was trying to like lean out in the gym and stuff. And over the next few weeks, I noticed like there was a huge difference in him. Like it's almost as if like his bloat was gone and he like really like chiseled out. Um hmm. And, you know, this idiot was, like, drinking cream from the bottle. So, like, I knew, like, he, you know, like, he was putting butter in his coffee and stuff. This guy. <laughs> yeah, like, and, like, he once came from home from the gym and he was like, I did this really stupid thing. I thought that if I drank double cream, it would be instant energy. And then I went on the treadmill and I ended up throwing up. And I was like, you're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> so that was kind of, like, how I was first exposed uh, to the keto part. diet. But after seeing him lean out, I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe there is something to this. So I decided to take it on and I ended up dropping like 25 kilos. Um, I lost 25 kilos in a few months. It was literally like zero effort. I just ate like a ton of eggs, bacon, steak. Uh, I s noticed that like I had like super mental clarity. Uh, my skin, my acne cleared up. I had like so much more energy, like I could go walking and this was like back before it was a fad and everyone's fucking moms were doing keto. Like this was back in the day where it was literally keto is going to kill you. No one had ever heard of it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then. Karen. Hmm? You could be keto Karen. So you could. Be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone is doing a keto diet these days, but that's how I first. So, so, yeah. Break, break down what it is for me though. Cause uh, it's been a while since I've looked into keto itself, 
all I know is that you want to maximize the the nutrition in your diet that can produce ketone bodies uh, so within your basically system. I'm going to approach it from a more like biochemical explanation um, since you're a medical student yourself but when your body is technically in like in this mode where you're not eating anything and your body starts having to burn its own fat as fuel it's uh, a state of ketosis and mm -hmm. it's called a ketogenic diet because you're generating a state of ketosis in your body. And the way that you do this is that you need to deplete all of the glucose, all the glycogen in your body. And what happens then is you start converting everything into ketone bodies. So the whole point of the diet is to like get into the state of ketosis where you start using ketone bodies as fuel and you start using your own fat as fuel. Because um, in case anyone doesn't know, like one one uh, gram of carbohydrates is equal to four calories of energy, whereas one gram of fat is nine calories of energy. And so like we have like all of this kilos of pure fat. And so the energy you can extract from it is obviously a lot, lot higher. So it's like a lot better to burn fat than glycogen. Um, so a ketogenic diet is basically aimed at depleting the glycogen in your body so that you're using your own fat as fuel and you eat fat basically because it has a very 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 low glucose and very your, your body releases very low insulin in response and you like it ensures that you stay in that uh, ketogenic state so that's the whole keto diet it's basically like lowering your glucose enough so that you start switching to a mode of ketosis and you're using ketone bodies uh, as fuel that's the whole thing so <clears throat> you were talking about the mental clarity before and not to segue yeah. too quickly onto a different diet um, that we did touch on last time, the the, the carnivore diet. Um, in terms of the benefit of mental clarity and the energy and the general quality of life that you gain from um, those two, because I know you did the carnivorous diet for a month and you've been doing the keto yeah. diet for a number of years now. Um, which one have you noticed had more of an impact? Not say better or worse but which one had like to you had more of a, a an impact for you uh i think for sure like carnivore was very 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 clear cut like like this is the way um but in Boy. in terms of like sustainability like and affordability uh definitely keto because keto makes a world of difference but like if i went to my friend's house and like you know they're, they're a vegetarian i can i can eat a salad that's still keto and it would be okay. Mm. Or like if you go out to eat somewhere, like the options to make it low carb, especially nowadays, like in 2021, like everyone's doing a low carb diet. So it's like a lot easier to just be low carb and it's also a lot more affordable. Like you can make carnivore affordable and I've seen plenty of videos on it, but like it's still not the same as being able to bulk out your meals with some like vegetables and stuff. Uh, not to mention I, I, I personally would get a, like, cause I'm a, I'm a guy who who doesn't have three straight meals a day. I will have maybe two meals a day and then snack a lot. So yeah, see, um, that's that's no, no bueno, no bueno. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've um, yeah, I've been told that it's uh, it's it's bad for especially your insulin levels. Um, keeping yes. them in a constant high state for such throughout the day is not not bueno. Uh, not so good. like in in the past day 
there, there was this thing uh, that, you know, you, you eat to keep your metabolism going and basically you need to eat. But and this idea comes from what's called like eating induced uh, thermogenesis. So basically, as you eat and you have to activate your digestive components, you technically burn more calories, but it's so minimal, like so, so, so minimal. And I think this is where the idea of like you need to eat to keep your metabolism going comes from. But this is actually just a complete myth. It's absolute bullshit because the amount that you burn from uh, like uh, nutrition related thermogenesis is so, so minimal. The truth is, though, like every time you eat, your body releases insulin and insulin mm. is released in two spikes. So like you eat, let's say you eat your breakfast, you release insulin. Then before lunch, you have a snack. So you release insulin again. But also, by the way, since it's in two spikes, you've now like done four spikes of insulin. Then you eat mm. lunch. So then that's another two spikes. And then you're like, oh, man, like dinner's so far away. Like, let me have another snack. And then that's another two hits and then you're like oh it's aperitivo like you know have something to open up my appetite and that's another two hits and then you have dinner and that's another two hits and even if what you're eating is healthy this like continuous like release of insulin is is starts building up a tolerance of resistance in your body like that's the whole point of it and the thing with intermittent fasting is that everyone thinks like it's like this magic cure to like weight loss and it's like oh it's because you're eating less calories in the same window and it's like no you idiot like the thing is i'm giving my my body a break from releasing insulin because while i'm not eating my body isn't releasing insulin and you're it's you're increasing your sensitivity to it which is like the most important thing because insulin is not good for your body like it's it's not insulin is nope. not good um and we're not designed to be continuously releasing insulin but like now because food is like so common and abundant like this is the situation. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's that's what uh, intermittent fasting was. The premise of intermittent fasting was built upon, right? Is that <clears throat> it was trying to mimic the the diet which our ancestors way 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 back when would have had, where they they would have been hungry throughout the whole day whilst they went to go out and hunt, and then once they caught uh, the food. Um, they would have to wait even further to cook it, and then only after all of that by the 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 end of the day they would finally eat so that is what i have always thought that intermittent fasting was built upon um i wouldn't like i don't know if like this new fad was nece it necessarily came about from mimicking it but it is usually used as an example of why it's how it's meant to be um if that mm. makes sense like a lot mm. of things like, I'm not saying, like, I don't think it came about because someone was like, hey, I think this this is how they used to eat, so this is how we should eat, and now it's going to be called intermittent fasting. But I think when it started becoming more popular, people were like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Like, who made the idea of three meals a day? Like, where does this come from? And, you know, when you think about it, especially from, like, an evolutionary point of view, it does make sense. We didn't have, like, a lot of ways to, like, store food other than uh, something called pemmican. And it yeah it just makes sense you go hunting during the day you bring back the food you cook the food together and you eat it like we're not meant to eat all day we were hunters and gatherers like we hunted food and we went and gathered food as we needed it uh, it wasn't always there found abundantly so like it is a way to explain why intermittently fasting is good but i don't think like it currently came back as in a way to mimic it um because that 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 surplus of uh nutrition that we have these days is um, <clears throat> is a huge problem. It's causing a, a huge problem for the healthcare huge. industry. Yeah. Like obesity is one of the the main killers outside of I mean, and causing heart uh, problems this day and age. So 
but mitigating all of the that. heart problems are coming from obesity. Yeah, from the obesity like, is what I'm saying. Like heart disease, diabetes, like these are all lifestyle diseases. And yeah. the, the and they're the number one killers of yeah. the Western world completely. So for sure. And the the thing to me, it's like it's not even the death that's coming out of it. It's like the spending required to treat it. Um, mm. the amount of like insulin and doctors and resources and specialists and everything we need to be able to treat something that is so, so, so preventable mm. um, is what's crazy. And you know, what's actually really interesting, like talking about the intermittent fasting is that uh, in my university, they introduced this uh, new module where we have to learn about uh, nutrition in medicine. Like it's all like Good. medical. Good. It's yeah, it's, it's okay. Uh, but the professors actually really emphasize that like everyone, absolutely everyone in the absence of pathology should intermittently fast. And it was just really interesting seeing like professors that are like 60, 70 years old and, you know, that should like be in their like dogmatic ways of like, you need to eat, you need to eat, saying like people should intermittently fast. And that to me kind of like really highlighted the urgency of changing like lifestyle habits uh, in people. But... So, I mean, the number one thing that, um, cause I maybe unknowingly have done intermittent fasting, uh, whilst I was at university for the first time, <clears throat> I would not eat all morning just because I'm a lazy bitch and then, uh, eat a huge meal during the evening when I finally gave way to the hunger. If I was to do that now, I think it would be very difficult to um, to alter my diet into one where I don't eat in the morning and only eat in the evening because of the the activity, my level of activity now, my my um, how do you say this, my habitual um, familiarity with eating regularly now uh, compared to back then is. I think would make it very difficult for me to get started. So, so for you, how did you get past those hunger cravings, the lethargy that I imagine comes for the first couple of days or weeks before you get acclimatized to it? How did you um, manage uh, I mean, that? actually, funnily enough, understanding and knowing the physiology and biochemistry behind it really, really helped. Um, mm. Because like, once you understand why you're feeling, how you're feeling, it's a lot easier to deal with like feeling those things. So mm. once you understand kind of like how hunger signaling works and how ghrelin, like, so for those of you who don't know, like ghrelin is the hormone that regulates hunger and ghrelin is released and that's what makes your stomach go brr, 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 to tell mm -hmm. you uh, that you're hungry. However, ghrelin release is completely tied into your circadian rhythms and your circadian rhythms are set not only by when you sleep, but also when you eat. So that means that you release ghrelin around your meal times but that mm. means that as you move your meal times your ghrelin release will alter accordingly um so what i mean is like if you think about it i'm sure like this has happened this has happened to me multiple times even before i started intermittent fasting where you might be feeling really really hungry but then if you just like kind of like not pay attention for like 20 25 minutes that hunger feeling is gone and you completely forget about the fact that you haven't eaten and you're hungry basically until when your next meal time is coming up and then your body releases ghrelin again. And this is completely physiological. Like your body adjusts to when you normally eat and then it learns to release ghrelin around when you normally eat. So like I basically knew that if I could ignore my hunger for like 20, 25 minutes, it was going to go away and not come back until uh, the next time I can eat. So 
it was for me for me when i'm like when i'm getting those hunger pains and i don't really have the time or desire to eat um just having a swig of water maybe two um really helps alleviate some of that um that you know back of the head drive like you gotta eat man what are you doing like a lot of people also don't know that like hunger manifests as a symptom of dehydration so Mm. like if you're dehydrated it can actually trigger uh hunger signals even though you're not hungry at all it's just like the body is like pushing to get some sort of hydration and you know like food has like a certain uh level of water so like an effective way sure if you're like feeling really sharp hunger pangs is to drink water uh caffeine like caffeine has been shown to be somewhat of an appetite suppressant but also it has Mm -hmm. a something called orexin um which not only helps with like waking the brain up but is also another appetite suppressant so like drinking coffee like black coffee and drinking water can help control appetite but for me like the best way i think people should start intermittently fasting is to just like push your normal window of eating by one hour every few days um okay so you wouldn't you wouldn't recommend just doing it straight cold turkey like okay i'm gonna start intermittent fasting now so tomorrow i'm gonna eat it this time just deal with the pangs until they until i finally get used to it i mean the reason why i don't is because i want people to approach intermittent fasting as a thing that they're going to do for life um like to me there is like no end goal to intermittent fasting it's not like oh i'm going to intermittently fast until i get to this like weight or i'm going to intermittently fast until this and the reason why i say that is because intermittently fasting has been shown to be effective uh in insulin sensitivity and like you know this is related to not only heart disease and diabetes but there's like a lot of overlapping um like molecular pathways with uh, cancer. And actually I have a science journal right here that talks about like intermittent fasting, its relation to metabolism and how this might be related to like uh, reducing the chances of cancer because like the, there are certain pathways that overlap with it. So like to me, like when I want to convince people to intermittently fast, it's not like as some fad that I want them to do it until they like lose weight or like hit a certain goal in the gym. Because as far as I'm concerned, like this is something that you are adapting for life. So if it Mm. takes you one month extra to adapt to it, but you're going to be more comfortable and you're like building it as a routine and a lifestyle, like a habit into you, it doesn't, matter really if you like cold turkey into it or you take an extra two weeks just to push like your windows back an hour um do you know what i mean like i think if you were going to do a goal i would just be like look this is how ghrelin signaling works drink water drink coffee get over it until your next thing and you know that's that but yeah, also like i you think said, when you yourself until you can eat really yeah and that's it but like when i consider it more that like you need to think of this as something that you're adapting for life. It's not going to matter if it took you an extra month to get started if like, you didn't have to struggle it. Because I think if you're going to suffer and struggle the first week, you're less likely to want to continue it two or three weeks in. Whereas like, if you just ease into it and then it becomes like your regular normal habit um, and then it's going to be something that you stick like long term, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it makes a lot more sense to me um, personally. But... <coughs> So we, we talked about the, the, the time frame and we touched on the, the, uh, the diet itself, but you, you were saying it's mainly eating fat and substituting the energy that you would otherwise get from glucose with fat. What about um, things like protein and fiber? 
which are you know um, especially the fiber component because I feel like if you're eating that much um, that I mean much so like okay so this is like two different things now because like intermittent fasting I think like is its own thing and then like keto is its own thing and like, oh, yeah, I think yeah. no, 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 how are you fine. handling both and, at the same time is what I'm trying to like utilizing both is like the ideal um but so when it when it comes to keto like the way uh most online forms say it is that like when you set your macros that protein is a goal like how many grams you eat protein is a goal carbs are a limit and fat is a leverage so like is it still one gram of protein per pound of your body weight so it the, the figure actually changes depending on your uh, activity level and age and weight and stuff. Like I see like 0 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound uh, usually. Okay. But I've also seen a lot of new research that basically uh, like because in the past there was this this uh, prevailing theory that if you ate like over three to four grams per pound, you would start getting kidney damage and yeah, because whenever you tell someone that you're going on a high protein diet, they're like, oh, but what about your kidneys? And now, like, mm -hmm. a lot of the new research is saying, okay, that was bullshit. Like, it's fine. Like, your kidneys are going to be um, a okay. So, the, yeah, basically. The, the thing with protein is that there's nothing to be afraid of with, like, how much protein you eat as long as you're eating enough of it. Um, when it comes to carbs and fiber, like, this is when the conversation is actually going to turn very, very controversial. And that is the fact that your body does not need any fiber. Really? Okay, yeah, that is controversial. Yeah. Really? Okay. okay and... My body needs fiber. I don't know about yours, but if my body don't get fiber, any water I drink is going right but, out. <laughs> okay, but the thing is, like, fiber actually makes your bowels lazy. Um, and yeah, Just like me. And uh, yeah, but I can I can recommend you a book. And there's actually this really like really uh, cool Australian doctor called I think Dr. Paul Mason, and he's conducted research on patients with uh, irritable bowel syndrome, and he cut fiber completely out of their diets, and it basically cured their IBS. Um, For IBS, you said right? Yeah. So like. The, the book that I recommend that you read is called The Fiber Menace. Mm -hmm. Let me just double check that that is the correct name. The Fiber Menace. Hm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the full title is actually Fiber Menace, the truth about the leading role of fiber in diet failure, constipation, hemorrhoids, irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, and colon cancer. Uh, is what I recommend. But in this talk that uh, Dr. Paul Mason gives about fiber and irritable bowel syndrome is basically that like we're told that we need fiber. But when I even consider it from an evolutionary point of view, because, you know, you were saying that like to you, intermittent fasting makes sense because you think about how it would have been where you hunt all day and then you eat in the evening. Like, why would we why would we be eating something that we couldn't absorb any nutrients from? Because the whole thing of fiber is that your body can't utilize any of it. Like that's yeah. what makes you, that's what makes like your, your poop bulk out is basically the fact that you can't absorb anything from it. So like even from an evolutionary point of view, why would we expend energy to like get rid of this waste that we get absolutely nothing out of? But isn't the premise to increase the uh, amount of transit, bowel transit time, 
so that more of the nutrients that outside of the fiber are being absorbed throughout the intestine and the, the small intestine. Is that not but like, the, how, the how, how would like the fiber that you're eating, like affect the absorption from like other stuff that you're eating? Do you know what I mean? Just, like, just from time within the bowel, like you just said, it makes your bowels lazy, right? It's, it just means that from what I understand, what, what you said is that it just means that the, the total amount of time, uh, that, um, the nutrient matter is staying within your gastrointestinal system is increased. So the longer it spends in there, the more time for absorption that there is. No, I don't think so. Because another problem with having too much fiber, like, so one of the common side effects that when someone suddenly ups their fiber without uh, upping their level of water is that they become incredibly dehydrated. The thing is like when fiber is passing through your body uh, with that time, it's like absorbing a lot of the water out like so there's like literally no benefit um even if it was increasing like the 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 transit time to me that just sounds like you're more likely to like lose water or like um like water to be uh like over absorbed and you're going to become constipated uh more than likely more than anything else but okay i'm just trying to wrap my head around it as well um Yeah, it's it's really hard like when you first hear about it because you've been told your entire life that you need fiber. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the truth is like you can't absorb fiber. Like there's literally zero nutritional value in it. And but the, but I was never on the impression that we were absorbing fiber per se. I thought it was just for maintaining healthy gut transit <clears throat> and stool especially. Like that is my biggest point is that I do not want anything watery coming out of there. But. The thing uh, usually when you cut out fiber and if you're having really watery stools, it's because your fat content is too high. Um, that's generally it. Like if you eat a lot of fat, then you start uh, <laughs> you start you start pooping a lot of watery stuff. Like it's, mm-hmm. it it flies through your system. Um, For the same but, the same premise, right? The uh, the osmolarity difference in the in the gut compared to blood is gonna pull a lot of that water out into the um i mean sure but the more like uh, to me when i'm considering like the the fiber content of food or like what's going on through your gut like sure the water plays some aspect to it and the bioavailability plays like some aspect to it but my concern more comes down to like what we consider like leaky gut and inflammation um of the gut And the reason why um, I say that is because, so like going back to, so I I do need to make a point though, like on a keto diet, you are meant to eat fiber. Um, I was referring more to a carnivore diet. Uh, So like on keto, you are expected to eat green vegetables and you take the total carbs of the vegetables and you subtract the fiber because any, any carbohydrate grams from fiber does not count. Okay. Um, And then you are, you have an upper limit of 25 to 50 grams of carbs a day and none of the fiber counts. So like if you have like a ton of broccoli and the total grams of carbs, say are 30, but like 15 of it is fiber, then you only count 15 towards your allowance. Okay. So I, I do feel like I do need to say that like keto does expect you to eat like leafy greens and cauliflower and all that other good fiber resources. I was more referring to like the carnivore diet, but also like fiber in general is actually not an, it's not necessary, um, which is very surprising to a lot of people. But 
<laughs> the the myth that you need fiber. Yeah. Mm. So carry on, Carol. Sorry. No, I, was, I, was I, I say feel like it, might, it might also be one of the reasons that we're seeing, um, you know, situations of uh, gluten sensitivity and celiac on yes. the rise in the past. I mean, since 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 records on for this began, it's been such a steep rise. Whilst other inflammatory profiles have been on a, a decline, like multiple multiple sclerosis and celiac are showing such significant increases over the past couple of decades, <clears throat> in comparison to um, any other inflammatory disease. And maybe one of the reasons is that we're ingesting things that we don't really need to. So the the so increased. The, the, sure. the problem uh, with like leaky gut and this like gluten uh, insensitivity is that basically, uh, again, I'll just clarify for in case anyone who's watching who doesn't know, is that the tight junctions in your gut should not be permeable. Uh, the tight junctions are meant to make sure that nothing from your gut like seeps back in. But when you have leaky gut, it's basically like the junctions are opening uh, in your gut and then stuff is like seeping back through and that's causing inflammation but the tight junctions that are getting destroyed are actually due to gluten um, so even in healthy guts even people who aren't celiac the inflammation from eating gluten actually damages the zonulins like so the tight junctions and this can lead to things like leaky gut and dysbiosis and this might not like immediately lead to a pathology but it starts leading to chronic inflammation um, in, the, in the gut and going back to like when we were talking about uh, like the, the mental health uh, benefits of uh, the ketogenic diet and carnivore and what else is that the current like there's a new and upcoming um, like theory on like depression and anxiety that of course it's like a neurotransmitter imbalance but what's actually now more kind of being considered is that it's actually an evolutionary response to inflammation because if you think about it back then if you got sick you did not want to get tri your tribe sick right like if you're sick you you, you just want to be the only person who dies so that your tribe can like carry on and like carry out the genes and stuff so it's kind of considered that when you get sick and you start like showing signs of inflammation in your body, you know, you start feeling like more withdrawn, you're more tired, you don't want to eat, you don't want to like socialize. And um, so this is like an evolutionary response to being sick. But now what's thought is that this chronic level of gut inflammation is triggering this evolutionary response. So the body thinks it's sick. So it's like triggering the feelings of feeling depressed or anxious. Which makes complete sense when you consider that there are just amount, the same amount of neurons in the lining of your well in your gastrointestinal system as there are in your brain so in your meninges or, in, uh, or if you had encephalitis you would get lethargic you'd have uh, changes to your social um social motor uh, abilities yeah. i mean it is called your gut brain axis for a reason like the two systems are in incredibly connected so like now we like i say we but i mean like science in general like there are now like a lot of like really interesting research going on in gut health and how that relates relates to mental health and like i can talk about a little bit about like the interesting research going on but basically like fiber and uh like gluten and other things is causing gut inflammation and this might be leading to more like chronic inflammation in the body or like even mental health conditions and you know the, all of this stuff is like so 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 related and so so important um but yeah <laughs> no i mean it's it, it is important because <clears throat> 
it's very easy to 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 treat when you look at other pathologies which are um, inflammatory in nature and usually coming from a causative agent outside of the body that we're not introducing that we're we're, we're not introducing ourselves is it becomes you know clear as day that if you change what you put in your body then that's gonna change the nature of that inflammatory profile and as such change the way that your body has a response to that um <clears throat> so i just want to um first and foremost give ourselves a pat on the back for staying on um, staying on topic for a full yeah a for, little for, bit. For long, you know. <laughs> but um, no, that's that's interesting. I didn't know the the stuff about fiber personally. I'm gonna have to change the way I manage my meals and manage the way. Who am I kidding? Nothing's gonna change. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like small, small, sustainable changes is kind of what you wanna yeah. generally go for. No, to be fair, I've changed a lot in my diet. Um, probably in the past year, I'm eating a lot more salad. I found the joy in salads now. Um, I've been introduced to um, how to properly make very nice salads. So I'm. Oh my god! Sorry, I just it kind of literally just hit me now when you were saying down slowing down transit time of mm. the fiber. Right, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just like it literally just hit me like a ton of bricks that it is true that uh, fiber slows down the absorption of certain things. And okay, like, for example, when you take the example of fruit, fruit is extremely, extremely sugary. Fructose mm -hmm. is extremely bad for the body, like really bad. Like fruit juice is just as bad as Coke and Red Bull and stuff like that, because the only redeeming part about uh, fruit is the fact that it has fiber, but fruit juice removes the fiber. So it is true that like when you uh, like eat fruit and you have the fiber, it slows down the absorption of the fructose so that your liver can like break it down at a rate that like at a more uh, tolerable Manageable. rate. Yeah. yeah, more. that's exactly the word I was looking for. It becomes like, it can, it can break down the fructose at a more manageable rate, thanks to the fiber. But realistically, like, again, fruit is so high in sugar and uh, fruit has changed so much in profile in the last like yeah. 100, 200 years that uh, we shouldn't even be eating fruit that's currently available. Like zoos have stopped feeding fruit to animals because we have just crossbred it so, 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 so much to make it so sweet and so sugary that like realistically we should not be consuming fruit. Um, I know again, controversial, but it's too sugary and I don't know. I mean, it's been genetic, not genetically altered, but genetically. Yeah, yeah it has been though. Or, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, genetically altered in the sense that not, not in the sense that we've like spliced in some genes and we're going to change, uh, this apple tree, but more in the fact that, like you said, we've crossbred and we've done some, um, Punnett squares to figure out uh, which which fruits are sweetest and can give you that. So the overall caloric intake from fruits these days, as you're right, he said, is is much higher than what it should. It's have been the sugar. It, the, the the sugar is the biggest problem because again, you're getting like massive spikes of insulin. Like when whenever you consider uh, like consuming sugar, like insulin is there to protect your body from having sugar in your blood. But the problem is, is that if you need to keep releasing insulin, like the same way you build a tolerance to coffee and the same way you build a tolerance to alcohol, your body builds a tolerance to insulin. And that's what type two diabetes is. It is uh, insulin resistance. And I don't know if you know this, but like, this is also really interesting that currently they're trying to reclassify Alzheimer's disease as uh, diabetes type three because Alzheimer's disease is actually, 
insulin resistance at the level of the neurons. So there is now a reclassification of Alzheimer's disease, well, an attempt to reclassify it as diabetes uh, type 3. And actually, it's been shown that a keto diet, I mean, so, okay, I need to really, really make sure that there is currently not a lot of good research on this because it is very hard to do consensual research on people who don't have their full mental faculties yeah. about them. So you can't suddenly just be like, we're going to completely change your diet to see if you improve when they don't really understand the consequences of what they're accepting. However, there is some promising research that has been shown that supplementing MCT, uh, mid-chain triglycerides, which is found in like coconut oil, and they get converted directly to ketone bodies uh, in the liver. They surpass, like they pass uh, all of the other procedures. They don't need to be breaking down. They, they get converted directly into ketone bodies in your liver, have been shown to improve the symptoms of it because ketone bodies can cross the blood-brain barrier. Whereas if you have glucose, sorry, if you have insulin resistance at the level of neurons, neurons can't take in glucose. So the brain starts starving. That's what happens in Alzheimer's disease. But ketone bodies can cross the blood brain barrier and they don't need insulin to enter neurons. So there is now like up and coming, like really good stuff that shows that like low carb diets and reducing insulin resistance would actually be good for like Alzheimer's disease. Like just made me even more of an advocate for coconut oil. I I'm sticking by it my is, guns coconut no. oil is bay it is yes. bay <laughs> it's, it's so good so good like I put it in my hair i cook with it now as well yeah bathe it it's so good but it is expensive which I would is unfortunate. If it was yeah that's true that's true um but yeah i just really randomly remembered the fiber thing i'm really sorry about that but yeah no, it, it does actually slow down absorption but like realistically we wouldn't need it to slow down absorption if we if fruit didn't have that much sugar in the first place. Like, um, so yeah, <laughs> you were saying before I so rudely interrupted for the tenth time today. I was just talking about salads. No one cares about salads. It's fine. <laughs> no one cares. No one cares that I I've found a newfound love for rucola, or arugula, however you want to say it. Like, um, yeah, my salad game has been upped is all i wanted to say this doesn't I, uh... I, mean, I love salad salad is super tasty and also the other I thing i used to absolutely hate it because oh, salads here salad. don't compare to salads back home i feel salads back home is just get some mixed in salata put it in a bowl and maybe add some olive oil here they do all some kinds of crazy shit like really nice um <clears throat> i can't remember the name of it the the heart-shaped onion um like a literal heart, heart not, like a, not this kind of heart like an actual i can't remember the name of this i'm gonna have to search it give me a sec but um it goes really well with rucola and goes really well with um glaza which is like a a, a different type of, of uh balsamic vinegar um i don't know i just really fell in love with um Rucola. I'll rocket. It. You're just talking about rocket leaves. Like arugula is just rocket. No, arugula. Uh, arugula. Yeah, I thought it was called rocket in English. Is it called rocket? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, you're right. Rocket. rocket. Yeah. No, I always. I, I don't always like rocket that much. Oh, I love it, dude. I eat this on my own, on its own. Sorry, with uh, olive oil, balsamic vinegar, and like some salt. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, don't love it. Don't love it at all. I prefer <laughs> lettuce. Um, yeah, what about I, I really the, like what lettuce. About the, what do they call it? They call it cilantro. Um, 
so the Americans call it. Um, can't remember the other name of it, but it's that's oh, that's coriander? like another, yes, yes, that's uh, another one of those vegetables that people really either love or hate. You know the ability to taste coriander or uh, is genetic, yeah. 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 So it tastes like soap to yeah. That's the one. If you have genetic, which is so strange to me, so odd. There's, the there's, thing there's, is, uh, cucumber taste as well is genetic. Um, so I can't taste cucumber. I didn't realize cucumber had a taste until actually I learned about this. So to me, like I never understood why people liked cucumber because it was just like this, like slimy like it just tastes like water to me like like yeah like see you probably water. can't taste it then you probably have the same genetic thing because apparently cucumber has a taste have a taste yes yes apparently <laughs> what yeah no i swear it turns out that cucumber actually has a taste and i i never really liked cucumber because to me it's like it's like crunchy yeah, yeah, it actually apparently has a taste. <laughs> the more Crazy. you know, but yeah, the more you know. So yeah, it turns out you have that same genetic thing. Uh, like, if you don't have the genes to taste cucumber, it literally just tastes like hard water, right? Hot, right? Yeah, that, that's it's like slimy. I don't know. It's like crunchy but slimy, and people are like, "But it tastes so fresh," and I'm like, "No, it, <laughs> it tastes like nothing." <laughs> like. I don't know how to explain it, but... It tastes fresh in the same way that water tastes fresh. I'm just trying to really figure out whether I have this or whether it's just, like, so subtle that you can taste cucumber, but it doesn't... I don't know. No, I think... Well, I don't know. You've got I, me in my head about cucumbers taste. now. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I need to figure out whether I can... You'll have to do a taste test. <laughs> oh, talking of which, have you tried these things called Miracle Berries? Did you already tell me about them, that you eat it and it changes, uh, mm. like you can eat something sour and it tastes sweet? Yeah, complete. It's crazy. I didn't think they would work, but I Was bought... it you who told me about them? I don't think it was me who told you, but um, you can't, at least when I, was, when I bought, bought them, you couldn't buy them in the UK. The actual berries themselves, you had to buy these uh, pills or these capsules, which had the extract of them. And I lined up a bunch of um, sour fruits, like um, uh, I tried lime, lemon, uh, some citrix as well, like um, oranges. Uh, and I got my whole family to try them. And it's crazy, dude. Like everything tastes sweet. It's like you have a lemon and then you put this, this, this pill in your mouth. And then when you have the same lemon, it's like a lemon candy almost. So strange. Um, same with it's not not sweet, but it does change the profile of bitter stuff as well, which was quite interesting. Like I had a beer and it was not not a pleasant experience at all. Okay, I mean I don't, I don't know I I'm I'm one hundred percent sure you must have told me in last week's episode. Uh, I, I don't think. I don't think it was me. Did you hear okay, about well it? Recently? That's, yes, very recently, like in the last week recently. Like that's why I'm like it, it has to have been you. I'm pretty sure it was you. It has to have been you. Like, what, what would be the odds? <laughs> what would be the... Oh, no, you're right. It wasn't you. That's so weird. Because it was my friend literally on Monday. No, on last Monday, I think. And we record the episodes on Tuesday, right? No, I don't mm. know. I don't know. Time's a fucking illusion. It's in quarantine. But it was, yeah, especially during quarantine. It was definitely in the last seven days, though. 100%. Um, yeah. I don't 
talked about miracle berries for a year and now here we are two yeah people, like, okay twice the ones. that's crazy you know that's actually there, there's also like some sort of uh so, like phenomenon that's basically what when you notice something or you hear about something once and then you hear and see about it everywhere i don't know if you've yeah, ever heard red, of that red car syndrome or we, we call it the red car phenomenon at least in, in that kind oh of yeah yeah something like that like once okay yeah yeah i don't know if it's called that but it's really strange like, like i'd never heard of like, oh yeah there are only red cars and then they're like no there's not and then all they notice is red cars because they're like oh that's a white car that's, oh shit red car red car red car yeah I guess this is not it then because it's not like I'm noticing miracle berries everywhere but it's just really strange that like the first time I ever hear about it is last week and then like I had never heard about it in 27 years of my life and then the first time I hear about it a few days later like now you talk about it uh as well so okay you should I should, see try, if you can get I should them, try that uh, them at some point because uh it's a really nice fun little thing to do with um I'd love the one I would, I, I would like to see if I could drink like a jar of pickle juice or something if I ate it. Yeah, bet. But then I wonder what would happen to the electrolytes in my body. Maybe I should make like a YouTube vlog <laughs> log on this. Like I drank an entire jar of pickle juice and ended up in the ER. Oh, but I, I would be like that. one of those chubby uh, emu videos. Chubby emu. Oh, I love this guy. He's so good. Yeah. So I, it would be like this medical YouTuber <laughs> drank one <laughs> jar of pickle juice. This is what All happened his, to her electrolytes. <laughs> like, his latest one was uh, this, this student bought uh, mushrooms to microdose off the dark web. Watch what happens to his body. I didn't watch it yet, but I was really intrigued. I was like, I, 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 I only watch his videos when it comes up in my recommendations, which is like once every few months, because I, I feel like the type of content I watch on YouTube is really different to um i don't know if that makes sense like i don't watch a lot of like medically content so i never get suggested his videos uh it's usually like when so someone sends me one but i do i do enjoy uh his videos in general my my recommendation list gets quite uh i think youtube knows when i have exams because <laughs> <laughs> during my exam season all the recommendations are medical videos and then as soon as exam season stops straight back to video games whatever the hell else i'm watching on there <laughs> My my current ones are all like uh five habits of millionaires, like lifestyle <laughs> habits of millionaires and stuff. Because I've you know, ever since kind of we talked about uh investing in I think it was like the first episode actually, mm. I, I realized that like I needed to become more financially literate. So I've been trying to like read more books and watch more YouTube videos and learn more about investing. So now my entire YouTube feed is like my past study with me videos and <laughs> become a millionaire in one year. <laughs> like there's no in between <laughs> like that's it well maybe that's what we can do for um the next episode next maybe time. i can um i might be able to ask one of my friends who uh, if he didn't get into medicine he would have been um going into economics and doing investment banking i'll ask him if he wants to be on the podcast and uh, if oh or yeah no i actually have asked someone else already but we can we can bring in on a, on a guest to talk about finance next week if you're cool with that yeah, sure. That sounds, I, I think this is a, a really important topic and I kind of wish that I was more financially literate, especially at a younger age. Um, financially stable. <laughs> I wish I, I was think, financially like, stable. The, the thing is like, I, I was reading this book, which I, I do not love, but it's called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in it, it basically says that like uh, being broke is temporary, but being poor is permanent because being poor yeah, is a state of mind. 
So yeah. like, I don't mind if I'm like not financially stable right now, but if I understood how money and investments and like, if I was more financially literate, I know that I'll be in an amazing, well, not an amazing, but a better place. Like I, I if, if I knew about it when I was 18, I could have put money and invested money away and I wouldn't be struggling financially now. Like, so I'm broke now and I'm not financially stable, but I know that if I become more financially literate, I can be like better off in the future. If that makes sense. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, that sounds really good. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. I'll see if I can uh, get it set up. <clears throat> so I guess we're going to yeah. say bye now to yeah. everyone. Hello, intro, all three no, of our I'll viewers. <laughs> It's, okay. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, okay so bye guys we'll see you next week when we're going to talk about finance allegedly, allegedly if we stick to it we'll see